Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I am okay. I'm uh, I'm tired and and kind of in uh, in trouble with my wife because because I was up till three a.m. last night write, writing an article. But um, other than that, other than that, I'm doing well. I you know I was up till quite late as well though i am fortunate not to be in trouble with my wife i'm just i just have the the physical side effects uh yeah no it was um it's funny because uh there it, it, i go back and forth be, i mean obviously i'm in a totally different time zone uh you know, i'm what 15 hours off the west coast uh right. which is actually kind of nice i'm doing like the, the the daily updates for my site and i can send it out the end of end of my work day here and it arrives, you know, in people's inbox in the mornings. But um, but then That's when perfect. it comes to yeah, but but if I want to actually post something on the site, you know, it's better to, to be in the work day in, in in the states, which means at night. And I don't know, it it, it there's pluses and minuses. Um, but anyhow, uh, so I wrote about uh, yeah, I kind of got into well, our our we said Politics. the tagline, yeah, we said the tagline of our podcast was tech and society. So I guess uh, it doesn't get more tech and society esque than than that um it does not so tell us about the thesis of the article basically um i mean there's kind of two parts one was was getting back into net neutrality which i've obviously talked about quite a bit um i wrote an article mm. about it uh did a podcast with john about it um you know and basically my, my my problem with all with the net neutrality kind of uh supporters is is the I feel like people in tech are very good at complaining and saying no and not being very good at, at having like solutions. And, mm. and if you're morally right on an issue or, or right for whatever reasons, I mean, morally is a strong word. Um, but you don't have like an effective alternative and the person on the other side does, um, that's, that's not a good place to be when it comes to kind of negotiating. And I don't know, it's kind of like, we who support net neutrality need to be a little more serious about it and like fully think through all the implications and more broadly at, you know, as tech kind of impacts more and more industries and more and more people, uh, there are going to be more and more kind of political implications. And, uh, right. if we don't get involved now, um, we're going to always be kind of on the defensive as an industry. And that's not a good place to be when it comes to anything. So it's interesting. I, I've thought a little bit about this topic as well. Why do you think it is that we are like this? I think that's what's that's that to me is a really interesting question. Why do you think? Why do you think it is the way it is right now? I mean, I, there's something I was trying. Like I, I, I put a little anecdote at the beginning about like I actually once you know wanted to work in politics, and the reason I put that in there was kind of like just right at the top to kind of put it out there that I I get I get kind of like. That politics is messy and dirty and a nasty business, and I've been at the point where I just wanted nothing to do with it, mm. and and I think it's a very reasonable it's a very reasonable sort of sort of attitude. I mean, it's it's nothing like tech, right? Like we we have this kind of ideal we have this kind of idealized view of technology that kind of the best product wins. Um, one mm. thing I've written about a lot is that that's actually not all. That's often not the case, you know, right. particularly in things like cell phones and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of the ideal, right? And and we like to think that Silicon Valley is a meritocracy. And obviously, we've already had our podcast about privilege and stuff like that. <laughs> but but broadly speaking, that's kind of like the the one of the core kind of myths about Silicon Valley. And by myth, I don't mean like that it's wrong per se, but that's kind of like a foundational story that we tell ourselves that makes the valley work the way it does. Right. And 
And like everything about the political process feels antithetical to that. And, and I think it's just easier to ignore it and ignore the inefficiencies and and just kind of focus on what we want to focus on and presume that will all work out in the end. And I'm not sure that's going to be the case. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I mean, I think your observation of the behavior is absolutely correct. I think I maybe have a slightly different take on why. I, I mean, I agree there's an idealism that pervades the valley out here. And uh, I mean, it, personally, it's one of the things that I love the most about it. But I think the reason why there's a reluctance to engage is almost, it's almost like a sunk cost problem. Like to engage heavily is to acknowledge that there's this problem that we should have been engaging in all along. And I'm just not sure people like that idea so much. They they do. Like, I, I mean, I completely agree with you when you talk about the meritocracy point. They like to think, look, we're going to, we're going to put out a better solution. Um, we're going to, you know, I'm going to come up with Netflix. I'm Reed Hastings. Here's Netflix. You know, I'm going to put the cable guys out of business using their, using the the internet cable that they also run uh, into my house. And, you know, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing. And when they, you know, when something like this comes along to suddenly step up and say, oh, we should have been engaging in the political process is to recognize that, you know, you're up against players like, like the telcos who've been doing it for 10 years and suddenly you realize you should be playing there and to acknowledge that you should be playing there is to acknowledge that you should have been playing there all along. So it's almost like, I feel like there's some weird sunk cost mentality going on here where it's like, you know, we, we haven't been doing it and we're just not going to do it until it gets to, until it gets to fever pitch, until it gets to SOPA, until Airbnb is being shut down in, um, in New York or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, it's like, well, yeah, at this point, what's the point? Um, we're so far behind. Mm. Um, maybe I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure that I buy that. I mean, I think anyone, anyone who's had kind of the 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 tenacity and the and the longevity to build up something of value appreciates that you know you don't you don't have it all on day one, right? You you, right. Have, you have you have to start somewhere. Yep. Um, you know, I think. Uh, you know, and, and I'm 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 more than happy to to kind of frame this discussion a, as we because, like I said, I, I I from a from a personal level, um, you know, I dipped my toe in politics back in the day and 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 didn't like it and yeah, uh, the problem is that I mean at the risk of getting too stereotypical, uh, that's always a bad way to start a sentence, but um, mm. you know, mm. technology. One of the great things, you know, the, the kind of stereotypical person that is good at technology um, is not always the same sort of person that is good at sort of the glad handing and people and people interaction that, that goes into politics, right? Politics is at a very fundamental level about people and people broadly and and finding compromise and it being messy and and it's by definition not optimal. What yeah, it, it's yeah, yeah. we kinda I wish we kinda re- referenced this last week, right? Like right. democracy as a system is is not optimal by design. Yeah, okay. So uh, let me see if I can come at it from a different angle. I I maybe think you're giving you're not giving the tech guys enough credit. So uh, another way of thinking about this is to look at the two presidential campaigns that were just run in the US, right? 
And in the postmortem of the Obama versus Romney campaigns, the one thing that seemed to come up time and time again was the technological backbone sitting behind the two campaigns. Now, I can't remember the names. I think one one of one of the one of the teams had a system called Narwhal, which was a whale, and another one had a system that was called the Whale Killer or whatever. But what it boiled down to was Romney had a whole lot of folks from um, his private equity background. Um, building a system and Obama managed to get Silicon Valley on side and so pulled a whole lot of um, very bright, very um, like people with a lot of experience out of Silicon Valley, like folks who'd, who'd helped scale Twitter and so on. And, you know, like they recognize that, you know, they're passionate about a lot of the things that the Obama campaign stood for, uh, regardless of whether you think, whether you agree with that or not, they were passionate about it and they recognized that if they wanted to see Obama get up that they were going to have to make a contribution so and there was there was like quite a big representation of silicon valley folks on that campaign and obama absolutely crushed romney on the technical side of things had so much more insight they tested it extensively so when it came to polling day the system stayed up whereas the romney system just crashed. They hadn't done all the testing. They didn't have anywhere near as much insight. Um, it was it was virtually worthless on on polling day. So, I you know I do think that folks out here get it. Like they they got it then. They got engaged because they were passionate about it. And it's it's also the case that I think Silicon Valley was a very big source of donations, like political donations, increasingly becoming one of the leading sources of political donations. So it's curious to me that like there are these examples that that like we I'll, I'll continue to use the term we get it, but at the same time, when it comes to something that's as crucial to the internet as net neutrality. We're just like like the old world is work, walking all over the new world. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, do one quick side note. Um, it, 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 what's striking is the uh, whereas the Obama kind of digital campaign was built in house by like lots of you know Silicon Valley veterans and and several from the from the Chicago tech scene as well. Uh, the Romney campaign was built by by consultancies. I can't remember. I want to say it was. Um, Accenture, but I, I don't quote me on that. Oh, sorry, Accenture, if it wasn't you. Uh, <laughs> and what's 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 kind of interesting is the whole o- Obamacare kind of fiasco. Yeah, uh, actually right. ended up was was much more built along the same lines as the Romney campaign's digital strategy, uh, which I mean, I mean had yeah, had that- a similar result. That is it. That is an interesting aside, and I I certainly think that speaks to the problems of uh, outsourcing things versus finding good people and bringing it in-house. But I, I fear we risk going down a rabbit hole talking about that. Yeah, for sure, especially when it comes to government and funding and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, I, th- that's, that's a very valid point, and I, I think it's an encouraging one. Like, I mean, because the Obama campaign was, was lauded for its digital strategy in 2008 as well, uh, and 2012 was clearly – um, that much more, that much better, uh, you know, a, a significant kind of increase in, in the power of the, of the platform, the amount of time and money invested in it and, and arguably the results. And so maybe, maybe there is, th- that is a reason for hope that there is this sort of building kind of 
knowledge base and infrastructure. The problem, and I think this is this is actually of a piece with the concern I have with tech industry as a whole, is okay, so we were able to bring around bring this expertise and this kind of passion and knowledge together around an event. That event mm. being the presidential election, yeah. which occurs every four years. The problem is when it comes to these sort of essential policy issues, those are not decided on you know, every yep. 4th November. They're decided day to day. It's an ongoing thing. And right. that's I think missing. you're absolutely right. I mean, like that, that, that characterization fits. Like it fits with like, we'll, we'll work towards an event, um, an election. And then once that's over, the whole, like the team disbands or we'll work towards SOPA. And once the event is over, the whole thing disbands again. And I get, I guess... I, if there's one thing that's emerging just in this conversation, it's that we need to get better at grinding this out, right? Like, like this is this is a this is a ten year or even an ongoing battle, as opposed to something where you can wait till it gets to fever pitch and then really, uh, okay, guys, like we've got a problem now. It's time to engage, or oh, there's a precipitating event. Now it's time to engage. Like at that point, when it comes to when it comes to lobbying. When it comes to political engagement, at that point, you're already too late. Yeah, and, and, and if you think about it, like the, the returns are decreasing in effectiveness, right? SOPA was successful. The, the bill was defeated. Um, for the net neutrality, protests were not successful. Like the proposal went through as it, as it was framed. Um, and, and I kind of feel like maybe I, I'm just totally reading into this, but I feel like there's kind of a, a bit of a self-congratulatory sort of attitude that, oh, we, we really raised a ruckus about this net neutrality thing last week um, when actually nothing is different, right? I mean, right. oh, yeah, a ruckus was raised, congratulations, but uh, things are proceeding as they as they were. And quite frankly, I, I'm um, – and this – so it's a multi-leveled argument. I think for for the net neutrality specifically, the mm. issue is, is that net – I absolutely – I personally believe that neutrality is a worthy endeavor. Um, one thing worth noting is that net neutrality is is kind of a uniquely uh, U.S. thing. It's not necessarily the case in lots of lots of parts of the world, especially when it comes to mobile. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say like let's not underestimate this. Um, I mean, I, I view a lot of I view a lot of this through the lens of. Clay's work of disruption, right? And a lot of what they're targeting, a lot of what they're going to, a lot of what the old world is going to be able to target in the new world is, is to stifle disruption. So if, if you're Comcast and you see Netflix traffic going over your pipes, you're at the same time trying to sell expensive cable subscriptions into that house. I mean, you're going to deprioritize that traffic. Uh, you are you, you know, you're, you're, you're a telco, you're, you're trying to sell phone services and you see Skype, you, you deprioritize that traffic. You see uh, all, all the, I mean, uh, what, what concerns me is that all these disruptions, all these technical disruptions have taken root in the US. And this, uh, like the way this is unfolding is basically giving incumbents the ability to switch off disruptions at will because all of this stuff, or well, not all of it, but so much of this stuff, so much of the disruption that's happening is all software and internet based. And you're letting the people who own the pipes determine what goes through and what doesn't to a greater or lesser extent. And I worry that in circumstances like that, that rather than disruptions starting out in the US, which historically they have and uh, they've done so for some time, 
that you're actually making the US less competitive in terms of its ability to generate disruptive innovation, and it's going to start going offshore. Yeah, so I mean, one, one point, I, I, I agree with you, but just to play a slight devil's advocate. Sure. Um, one thing that's interesting, though, is, as I mentioned, there are lots of markets where there is no there is no idea of net neutrality, I think, particularly in mobile. So you see a lot in, uh, when it takes mobile, particularly in, I th- you see this a lot in Southeast Asia, um, for like WhatsApp, for example, there are lots, there are, there are deals where you get a contract, you, you have a very low cost contract, like $5 a month or something like that, mm-hmm. and it includes free WhatsApp usage or free Facebook access. And WhatsApp and Facebook are paying, paying the telco uh, to have that included as a as as an option, and it, it's yes, certainly they are um, it, they are preventing competitors from coming in. But it, but it is interesting because arguably uh, over the top messaging itself is a disruptive technology that's actually mm. gaining more traction and getting more users by using these kind of these tools, these 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 limits uh, of net neutrality. So the the, the point is, I, I agree. <clears throat> I agree with you as a rule, and generally speaking, um, as with anything, it's not always completely black and white. I mean, more people sure. do have access to communication, um, are finding more value through cheap smartphones because of uh, companies like like WhatsApp and Facebook uh, leveraging the ability to to pay for their own traffic. Sure. I I mean, I'm not saying it's a binary thing where it's going to switch off, but like innovating is one of these delicate arts. And um, I mean, part of the reason why it's been so successful in America is, is it's, it's been fertile ground for these innovations to take root. But if you, if you start making it more difficult for anything that threatens the business models of, of the incumbent pipe owners to take root here, then you know, perhaps it's gonna. Perhaps they're gonna start taking root somewhere else. So, so okay. So I agree. Let's 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 set that aside. Like I said, okay. I've talked about neutrality a ton. Um, we're on the same page. The problem, though, <clears throat> excuse me. You okay? Is there? Yeah, there are two. There are two uh, priorities. Um, one is is that neutrality. The other one is continually increasing broadband access and capacity. Hmm. The needs for the need for broadband and the, and the appropriate speeds are continuing to go up. Right? Um, again, I've I've referenced this tweet several times because it remains probably the, like the pithiest summary of the issue, <clears throat> uh, which is Mark Andreessen uh, in response to uh, Matthew Glacius saying, "Oh, Glacius is arguing that that internet access ought to be utility." And Andreessen's point was, "Well, you don't shit ten times more uh, in ten years." <laughs> and, and the point being, like, once you build out a plumbing system, the cost to keep that plumbing system up is 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 very small relative to the cost of building out in the first place. It's just maintenance, right. replacing pipes, replacing valves, et cetera. It's not actually digging new trenches and putting in new pipes and all that sort of stuff. The problem when it comes to broadband is is there very much is an aspect of, of updating it, right? And I think uh, if you think about, like, when a lot of the uh, – when 10 years ago – where the, the situation was actually much better because uh, the telephone providers like AT&T and CenturyLink and stuff like that were competitive with cable providers, right? Because DSL was was a legitimate alternative to a cable modem. Right. The problem is DSL is just fundamentally like 
physically limited in the amount of capacity that it can provide. So th there's actually no longer com competition. So right now, if you want legitimate broadband speeds in the U.S., and I put legitimate air quotes because relative to the rest of the world, it's terrible. But if you want, mm. if you want anything approaching legitimate broadband speeds, your only choice is cable. Yeah. Uh, and and that's and so yes, that's a problem. But it's an, also an illustration of why this isn't nearly as simple an issue as people want to say. Because we need and, and tech needs uh, broadband to continually increase. All this stuff about the cloud, all this stuff as a service, everything moving to the cloud depends on there being fast stable, uh, dependable broadband connections. And and the problem is all these neutrality advocates aren't really thinking about that in my in my estimation. They're not articulating a plan for increasing capacity or properly incentivizing companies to increase capacity uh, in their arguments for net neutrality. Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, and I, I, you touched on this in your article as well. And I, I think we may disagree a little bit on this because, oh, well, I mean, so when it comes to something like cable or running optical fiber, I mean, ideally you want to have competition, but at the same time, it seems really rather expensive to generate competition by running two sets of optic fibers to everybody's house, right? Um, and so it's it's naturally laying this this landline type material whether it's fiber optic or, or phone lines or whatever you want to call it it's it's just naturally it it naturally makes sense to only have one line into people's houses and that naturally lends itself to a monopoly and i i took a little bit of basic economics like i'm sure a few folks who are listening to this um <laughs> they that they have as well and the one thing i remember from that is that the one thing worse than a uh, public monopoly is a private monopoly but i there there is another option which is open loop unbundling which is something that you sound like you're a fan of yeah and again i don't want to get too much in the details just because like i said we you know i talked about this quite a bit last a couple few weeks ago but Okay. I mean, but broadly speaking, yeah, open loop and bundling, uh, which we didn't get into, is uh, the idea that you separate the infrastructure provider from the service provider. So mm -hmm. one company, and it could be also a service provider, but one company uh, provides and maintains the the pipes, and multiple companies can offer internet service across those across those pipes. So that's that's the case in most countries in the world that have uh, very high levels of broadband access. Uh, usually. Uh, the, the 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 best broadband is usually either government provided, um, or it's it's open loop access where where right. anyone can offer service. And and what's great about open loop access is uh, a a internet service provider could choose to offer a non neutral service. Right? They could um, you know they could cut a deal with Netflix or whoever to have their streams be faster. And and on the flip side, could uh, offer a lower price per month to customers. Um, whereas, and then competitors could come and say, "Hey, don't sign up with with this guy. He's he's not giving you the best speeds. Um, you should sign up with us." Uh, mm. And so, there's a market mechanism to to enforce net neutrality. Um, <laughs> I think there's probably or there ought to be a concern that, and this is this is this kind of gets it at one of the core cruxes of the problem. Uh, we have to deal with the fact it might be possible that most people would choose the the cheaper but limited option. Like there's a there's a very significant question and, and I think a challenge in the neutrality is 
how much do 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 quote unquote normal people care? And that kind of brings this full circle a bit. Like, how much does it rest on us in the industry to make people care, to help people understand the implications and why it matters and why why they should be concerned about this? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. I I, I mean, I think when you when you look at where so much of the economic growth of the country is is coming from and and one of the big competitive advantages that the US has it's like the ability to innovate and the ability to roll innovations out across the country and uh if you're if you're a company thinking about developing stuff and developing new technological solutions I'll use the 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 more technical version of the word stuff but you're you're thinking about developing new technologies and you know your population everyone in the population has access to super fast broadband the way you think about developing that is very different to the way you think about doing it when it's extremely spotty and so on I mean it's it's getting to the point now where I just think this is so important and to let it be determined I mean, and, and again, you touched on it at the start. There are these vested interests, like these these big telcos have spent a lot of money um, rolling out this network, and their their value, like their market value, is determined by the expected return of of that network, like the revenues they're going to derive in the future. And there are a whole bunch of shareholders, and the shareholders have uh, an interest in making sure that 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 return is maintained. And, and if you change the rules substantially, then obviously you're going to affect the market value. You're going to, all those shareholders are going to be pretty pissed off. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult one to navigate, but I don't know, Ben, I just think this is so important to the continued economic development of the country. I, I, I so well, that's the point though. I mean, let's, let's take it, let, let's take it as granted that net neutrality is a good thing for innovation. Uh, right. I, I think we're, we're just kind of going in circles to, to continue belabor that point. The 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 problem though is how do we how do we get there? And and just just repeating, and it's funny, we're falling into the same trap that I'm kind of, that I'm kind of accusing others of doing. Like we keep saying that neutrality is really important. It's important for innovation. Okay, that's that's fine. And 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 but then how do we how do we get there? How do we get from A to B? Uh, okay. to have open loop uh, unbundling means destroying billions of dollars in in shareholder value when it comes to when it comes to Comcast when it comes to to these these ISP providers right and like sure it's easy to sit here and say well that's you know that's the price of innovation um, but that attitude in general I think is actually yeah. part of the problem as well like tech is destroying all kinds of things and it, yes it, well, it's creative destruction to use to use the the term I can, um I should know the name who said that um you know where, where like things that ought to die because they're inferior to the new thing are dying but that that those deaths come with significant costs right I mean you see you see tech kind of breaking down industry after there's a fascinating chart and one thing I've, I've written a lot about is journalism and and the level of <clears throat> The amount of revenue derived from advertising adjusted for inflation uh, mm. has reached the levels of the 1950s. Like all the gains of like 60 years have been erased. Mm. Like, and yes, that if you look at the very big picture, that's a good thing. Lots more people have much better access to much better journalism, right? I can sit here in Taipei and I can read the New York Times every day. Mm. Whereas 
you know, previously I would have had to rely on the the, the frankly terrible English language newspapers right. that are here, right? Um, that's so, great. So, but but the problem is, like, there's lots of people out of jobs. I, yeah, I mean, and so <laughs> the the lots of people out of jobs thing is is another interesting topic, and I think that's one that we should we should talk about, but perhaps not right now. Like, no, no, I, of- I no, I disagree. Like, to okay. me, this is this is the entire point. Like, the the problem is it as as technology, whether as technology does this destruction, like mm. the people Shump who it are, up, by the way, <laughs> yes, thank you. The people who are being hurt are going to demand recourse. And that recourse is likely to come through the political process. Uh, ideally, it will come through the political process if you want to look at it in a more dire sort of way. And the problem is if if the tech industry isn't, like the tech industry is going to be enmeshed in politics, whether it wants to be or not, because okay, that's, the, so- that's the implication of this sort of massive change that is that is happening in industry after industry. So so let's disaggregate two things first. I think there's an impact on people and there's an impact on companies. Now, as a society, I think we should be very much focused on the impact on people. Like if people are displaced from jobs as a result of of industries going through upheaval, then I think it's in society's interest to make sure that the difference between the haves and the have-nots don't get too great because any student of history will tell you that when when that gap gets too big, bad things start happening. But there's also there's also when this happens to companies. So and and that is I guess that is where I start having a big issue. It's when when technical technological innovation has a negative impact on companies. The idea that they insert themselves into the political process and use the political process to defend their future revenue streams to stop them getting disrupted. That's stifling what Schumpeter described, the, the process of creative destruction. And I think that's, that's the equivalent of China propping up like banks that should be going bankrupt. That, that's, it's, it's stopping. It's, it's, hey, don't pin that it's, just on China. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not just China. It's everywhere. It, 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 this, is, this is something when you, like, you've got powerful executives and they're able to put themselves into the political process and they will defend their company's revenue streams by any, any means necessary. And I think the reason why I wanted to disaggregate it and maybe talk about these separately is the way that we should be dealing with technology's impact on people is separate to the way we should be dealing with technology's impact on companies. If technology is killing companies that is a good thing fundamentally if technology is making people's lives worse because they're out of jobs that's a bad thing but the prescription for solving those different issues are very different yeah that they're different prescriptions to solve the problem they're different problems and they need different ways of thinking about it now here this is a case of like uh, the disruption is affecting verizon it's affecting comcast so so hold on just a second Mm. i i I feel like on a theoretical level, yeah, sure. Obviously, we should differentiate between the two. Right. Um, to make it on a real life level, uh-huh. uh, technology, the technology industry destroyed Eastman Kodak. Um, okay. A company that provided uh, tens of thousands of jobs in Rochester, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those jobs are gone. Mm. And, and it's not to say, and I agree with you on a theoretical level, um, that. You know, it was a great company, but you know they 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 
like many companies couldn't man even though they invented the digital camera like they couldn't right. they couldn't change their business model they to it um and so yeah from again if you step back at a very high level this is a good thing uh, it's it is good it's for a great holding. thing the pie the pie the pie is larger now than it was before the, yeah the problem and, is is like there are there are tens of thousands of people that are still out of jobs because a company went out of business like okay yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I guess this comes down, I mean, I, I'm injecting, uh, it's impossible to have this conversation without injecting personal political beliefs into the, into it. But I think you want the companies to fail as often as possible. And the idea that there's corporate welfare that exists just blows my mind. But the United States seems to do it better than pretty much anywhere else. On the other hand, those people have lost their jobs. That's a negative side effect of companies being replaced and displaced by new improvements in technology and disruptions. You want to help those people. You don't want you don't want people to fear disruption. You want them to embrace it. And that means that, okay, I mean, again, I'm going to inject some of my personal political beliefs into this. You, you want to have a social safety net. So when that happens, because from a societal point of view, that's a good thing. You don't want those people to fear it. You want them to think this is a good thing. Okay, ideally, I wouldn't be out of a job, but I know that I'm not going to, I'm not going to end up on the streets. I'm not going to starve. I'm not going to be without healthcare. So you want to provide, you want to continue to provide those things. You want to retrain them. So in those new industries that are emerging, um, they're able to then, you know, whether it's a case of retraining, then then able to um, participate in the new industries. I mean, there's there's a bunch of research out there that suggests that there are a whole number of jobs. I can't, I can't remember where I read it, but a whole bunch of jobs that are going unfilled because people in the States don't have the right skills. And I can't help but think that economically we'd be better off if, if, the, if the US was like it stopped letting these big corporates um, inject themselves into the political process, interfere with, um, interfere and keep propping themselves up or defending themselves against disruption and and getting corporate welfare. But every time we, every time there's a conversation about helping people that have been displaced as a result of this, it's it's very very different. That their, their, their voices aren't heard anywhere nearly as loudly as some of these corporations, and so. You know, you lose your job as a result of disruption. You do find yourself on the streets, and to my mind, that's just completely backwards. Again, though, like on a on a theoretical basis, I agree with you, but you're but you, it's not the reality today. So, so how do we make that a reality? Okay. Like, do we just I sit mean, here and so hope that I, it happens? I mean, good question. I, I <laughs> so let's let's bite off some of these problems one by one. I, I think people who've listened to previous episodes in terms of corporations' ability to impact the political process, I think that is at the root of a number of evils. And there's a Harvard professor by the name of Larry Lessig who's talked Stanford, about this. He? Uh, he was Stanford. He moved over to Harvard. He's now at the Berkman Center over in Cambridge. Oh, yeah, he's talked a lot about this issue and there's a fantastic TED Talk that if um, listeners haven't watched this, I encourage them absolutely to go and listen to. And it's basically how, you know, society, like the, the basic premise of a democracy is one person, one vote. And uh, politicians are supposed to be responsive only to the people. 
And when it comes to like issues that will sway people's votes, they still are. But there are a whole bunch of other issues that are really important, like the one we're talking about, for example, net neutrality, where very few people will sway their vote. And in the instance of issues like this, politicians don't listen to what people want anymore. Instead, they listen to the donors. And there are donors like Comcast and like Verizon who have a very strong opinion about this. So I think the first step in fixing this issue is uh, rather than, I mean, if tech really wants to solve this problem, so it's like people, society and our leaders are focused on what's best uh, for society and for the people is to actually fix this fundamental issue of and get political campaign finance reform. I know I say those words and people just go to sleep, but get money out of politics. I think that's the first thing. Now, so 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 to take it back though to your kind of like sunk cost sort of thinking before, mm, right. um, you know, I, I guess <clears throat> you know the, perhaps I have that attitude when it comes to this. Like I agree, right? That there's there's problems here. It's it's a fundamental problem. Um, you know, obviously the recent Supreme Court cases haven't haven't have made it worse. Uh, now we're at the point where it may need like constitutional amendment. Um, so on, and and there's arguably a case like this is something where actually the tech industry could bring itself to bear. You know, I think right major well, events, an event, exactly, <laughs> yeah, major events. I think you know it's something to rally around and then to to bring people together at scale. Like that's what that's what tech is good at. Um, but let's say at, at at a best case scenario, we're talking years. You know, uh, like right. What can, happens can, in the meantime? Can, can, can we as an industry really afford to sit here and say, you know what, the system's rigged, uh, you know, it's not right, there's too much money in politics, um, so I'm going to go back and work on it as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So, like, that's the first piece of the prescription, I, and, like, let's fix the system. I think you're right. The system's going to take a while to, to get fixed, and there are people that are working fixed. very... Yeah, and, I mean, fingers crossed, because I, I think that's what... I personally think that's one of the biggest issues that America faces right now is reforming that part of its political system. But that's a whole nother conversation. So, I mean, is there is there is there an issue with money in politics in Australia or? I mean, Australia is a fair way behind the U.S. in a lot of respects. But this happens. It's funny at a federal level, people's tolerance for, for this, like culturally, Australians tolerance for this is actually very low. And if you find out this kind of thing has been happening then um, uh, like, it's just very hard for politicians to get reelected. It's, it's funny, there's almost a fatalism about it here in the US uh, where um, <laughs> people just, like it's ridiculous, but people just accept it. That being said, things are slowly starting to change in Australia in a similar way. They're moving in the same direction as the states. But where you really find this problem to be endemic in Australia is at the state level, where there's less attention paid, where the quality of the people doing the representation, at least in my opinion, is a little bit lower. Um, uh, and and you get property developers and so on, uh, just doing some very shady stuff with politicians. And some of the states have corruption, anti-corruption bodies set up. Um, and they're, they're effective to a greater or lesser extent. But uh, yeah, so this is the counter argument to a lot of what we're talking about, right? Like we can say there ought to be more regulation around broadband, for example. And mm. people on the and people will say, well, the more regulation you have, the more opportunities there are for companies to insert themselves into the process. Right. You know, something yeah. called regulatory capture. 
Yeah, um, totally. I, I think this is where thoughtful and, and limited and very thoughtful regulation is really important. But again, again that, that's is, something that's easy to say, right? Yeah, totally. I, I, granted. So I think what you're pushing towards is, okay, James, like this whole thing of money out of politics sounds great. What are we going to do in the meantime? Um, interesting question. Um, I think there are a few options open. I think, uh, yes, A, you do have to engage in the system that's broken. It's that old thing of... Uh, the, the old question of whether you try and stay outside the system and fix it or whether you work inside the system and 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 uh, take that approach. And I think in this instance and in the meantime, I think you do have to work within the system. I do think you have to start increasing the amount of lobbying spend. Um, but there are other options here specifically on this issue. Um, Google, for example, has started to roll out its own broadband in, in certain places. And What's crazy is, you know, as soon as that happens, everybody wants to sign up. Everybody wants it. It's fast. It's cheap. Um, there's like there are very few of these issues that um, that we're talking about here. There's there's none of the prioritization issues. And I wonder whether I mean, tech is now so big. Um, I wonder whether there isn't some move available here where and maybe I'm being pie in the sky because. Uh, for one, any one company to act in this way is is it's probably beyond any one company. But I do wonder whether it's like okay, if these are if these are pipes, let's just build our own pipes. We'll, yeah. we'll take that approach. The problem the problem with that is, um, and and yeah, we, we talked about that. We, we, we talked about Google Fiber a little bit before. Is um, it's this attitude that like, well, it's up to the companies, right? Uh, mm. They ought to lobby more. Um, maybe. You know, Google Fiber will save us, uh, or they ought to band together. Like, I, I guess the 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 kind of challenge I have, and this is a challenge for for myself as well. Like, I, I still mm. follow politics, but I've largely disengaged. I don't I don't spend very much time at all yeah. trying to talk to people about these issues and why they're important. Like, I, I just feel that's a very it's a very convenient sort of solution to say that Google ought to do this, Apple ought to do this, Microsoft ought to do this. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I totally 100% agree. I, I mean, this is why the systematic change is so appealing to me. Again, though, like in the meantime, I, I, I mean, so, so who's going to do the acting here, right? It's either going to be these big corporations or it's going to be the government. And one of, I mean, the other approach is like the government comes to its senses and realizes that this that that broadband is now as important to the economic development of a country but, as roads no, are and they I, do something like what's i i honestly think like though we we were over indexing on broadband here because okay. the sopa wasn't about broadband uh google bus protests aren't about broadband um you know Lots of these things, the NSA issues are not about broadband. Mm -hmm. the The issue is that, uh, you know, the the fundamental nature of tech and, and of the internet specifically, where where well, both both cases, where where it's happening is it's it's making distribution effectively free, and yeah. it's heavily automating any sort of repeatable task. Right. Like these are. These are great ways to increase efficiency. They're great ways to increase profitability. And it behooves any business in any industry to take full advantage of them. Right. Which means no that 
every industry and every sort of company that can take advantage of either increased efficiency or increased distribution or, or uh, automation, which is a whole bunch of them, like are going to be fundamentally changed if they haven't been changed already. And that means that there is going to be impact in all kinds of places, not just the super techie ones like broadband, but but things like, you know, factory towns like Rochester or, or all kinds of places. And there are going to be political repercussions uh, for for the tech industry. And, and if we don't get involved, if there's not so, this sort of kind of awareness like on on us as an industry, like we're going to get blindsided again and again. I I mean, I'm with you here. Again, though, we're getting kind of, we, we're going a long way up in terms of, uh, so, so you're talking about automation and efficiency and, uh, and increasing in profitability and removing the cost of distribution. Uh, you're talking about elimination of large numbers of people from the workforce. I, I and, totally uh, agree. And so I guess that that's like my that's my biggest thing here. Like I, I, I'm so, I'm so, almost like like not listing my own medicine because I don't have like a ready made solution here. But I well, guess I, don't think I guess they're, they're, my my point is yeah. that like we as an industry just need to be way more politically aware and engaged and and like and like each of us on an individual basis like. What, how many people do we interact with like regular on a day to day basis when it comes to family and friends? Like maybe it's five, six, seven, but like if if every person who hears this podcast or every person who's involved in technology like started to like engage, just engage and like in these conversations and they're tough conversations and people like they're it's much easier to avoid these conversations. But my concern is if we keep avoiding them and we don't, at a grassroots level, at a friends and family level, start engaging and and talking about like our perspective on these changes and that, yes, there is short-term pain, but there's long-term gain. And what can we do as a society to alleviate that short-term gain? All the stuff that you talked about. Like it's fine to talk about it at a big picture level, but if each of us doesn't start talking about it at an individual level, like – there isn't going to be change and 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 it's going to be much easier for for people on the other side to rally people to a cause and to blame google and to blame apple and to blame the tech industry well yeah i mean i think i think part of the reason i mean and this is going to be an increasing trend and tech is definitely driving it along with uh, along with what i think was that was the the topic we talked about earlier is is the money and politics thing i think those two things like are resulting in a society where an an increasing amount of the returns are going to an ever decreasing number of people right so if you're if you're the person that's able to automate a whole bunch of jobs like you're able to sit on top you're able to create a whole lot of leverage you're able to cut out a whole lot of cost you do that you can uh, you can, <laughs> like, it's it's a very very profitable activity, m- much more profitable than potentially could have ever been achieved by so few people in the past. Well, but um, there, there is, I, I mean, there is. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I I I do think that we need to be technology needs to be very aware of that impact because I think part of the reason. So you talked about people throwing rocks at the Google buses. I don't think that's because they dislike 
um, they dislike Google products. I think they dislike the idea that there are these people who are getting these outsized returns and everybody else feels left in their wake. Like there's there's no way for us to contribute. There's no way for us to benefit. And again, if, if that gap, ever, like history has shown, if that gap gets too big, then bad things start happening. People are throwing a lot more than rocks in the streets. So... I think um, I, th- I might have mentioned this previously, um, but I really think the allegory for for what's happening now is the is the industrial revolution. I mean, it, it, it was it was at that time, you know, where you, the vast majority of the population was on farms. Um, right. And today, two percent of the population is on farms. Right. And, yeah. and most of that change happened, relatively speaking, quite quite quickly in about 50 to 60 years, um, which doesn't sound fast, but in the grand scheme of history is, is pretty fast. Um, and, and yet we as a society are, are vastly richer in a vastly better place than we were, than we were before then. And, and I think we both agree that, uh, we, you know, in 50 or 60 years, we'll look back and say, wow, we as a society are in a vastly better place. We're vastly richer. Um, there's all these sort of new professions and new jobs that would never have been possible before. Uh, and, and that's like that, that's the sort of discussion that I think like we on an individual basis need to be having, right? Like people need to like, we as an industry, like we, we there's just like so much delight in like this creative destruction, like, yes, let's disrupt right. more companies. Let's do it. Yeah. It's awesome. Let's kill them, kill them, kill them. And like, <laughs> it, it's fun. It's fun in games when, you know, TechCrunch uses disrupt in every other article, 98% of them used incorrectly, yeah. but, but the right. point, you know, but like, it's not fun in games to people who, who are impacted one. Right. Yeah. But two, even people who aren't impacted, but don't, but aren't, don't have, are, aren't, uh, don't see the big picture benefits like right and, and how I, many people I, in Silicon Valley like support higher taxes for an increased safety net well I I actually think I mean if if you go back to and I, I'm I'm correlating because like it's not it's not perfect but if you if you go back to a map of of the 2012 election it, it seemed to be that California is pretty blue and Northern California that's, is that's very fair. blue very fair so so I actually think most people, do agree with that point of view, uh, but I do think, I, I mean, th- this goes back to the point we were talking about earlier. I think there's a difference between um, looking after companies and looking after people, and I don't think, I don't think we should be focused on looking after companies, but I, I do think we should be looking after people. I, I think the faster you're able to churn through companies, the sooner someone else is coming along to kill that previous company the more healthy a more healthy an economy is that that's that's a sign that that all this creative destruction is taking place innovation is happening business model innovation is happening and and i think a big part of the reason why america's been at the forefront of the global economy is because it's been the best place for that to happen now the pace of that is increasing and the returns to the victors are increasing at an ever greater rate i think you can't continue to ignore looking after the human cost of that of that i i i again you go you go back every time 
the the gap in in inequality, income inequality, where the gains from from these types of things have fallen to too fewer people, bad things happen. It's it's this funny thing where the best way of being greedy is actually to be generous and to make sure these people that have been affected, uh, you, you're looking after them. You're not just like well. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Eastman Kodak employee in Rochester, New York, you've lost your job, you figure it out. Like you have enough of that happening across the country and you see a very few, a very small percentage of the population doing very well and everyone else not. Well, I mean, <laughs> the word is revolution. I, and I, I mean, I hesitate using that. No. It's it's. No, the, the like, issue is I, I, not that you like, I don't know, I'm not sure who you're trying to convince here. Like I, I, I agree with you. Right. Um, but but again, like so so when it what do what do we, we do, about do? It? yeah like that's that's again and this is like again, like it's it's so easy to fall into to the same trap that I that I've that I've suggested others are falling into it's it's really easy to to relatively speaking to talk about the problem and to talk about the bad things that will happen if this problem persists. Uh, it's much more difficult to one uh, figure out a solution and two to make a real commitment on a personal level to alleviate that solution. And I guess and so yes, per, perhaps your your what you're saying is is valuable, but it, it, I guess the idea of like you know history being showing something, and I agree, and and revolutionary possibility, and, and I agree, like how. How does this make it real to those of us who who are invested in this and want and believe that there is a better future? Right. Um, well, I get. I guess part of it. Is, I, I guess I would say is part of part of the responsibility of our jobs and 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 going into work. And the reason why we build this great technology is to make the world a better place. But to narrowly focus just on making the technology and ignoring the context uh, in which we're making it is not a sustainable solution. And so this speaks to what you were saying before. We need to be having these conversations with our friends. We need to be finding ways of engaging. Um, uh, as to specific things, I think it depends on specific issues. Like I, like the net neutrality one is a difficult one. You've got shareholders and so on to to, to, to take care of and they're, they're, they're relying on on the existing regulations and they weren't expecting these new technologies to come along and so on and so forth. So it depends, like in the specific issues, it, I guess it depends. In general, getting getting tech folks more engaged, sustainably engaged in the political discourse, I think is a fantastic first step. No, I, I am I, going to- Yeah, I agree. I'm I gonna, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna plug again, Larry Lessig. Like, I think that's like one of the big issues with the political system. And I think, again, this is a big event that tech folks can focus on and it will have a meaningful impact on a whole range of these different issues yeah no i i think the, i mean someone uh, on twitter like asked like oh which which organization would be going to donate to or something and to me I, one i i don't i don't know for sure i i i would agree that something folks on campaign finance reform would, would be good but it it kind of bugged me right because which, the, no just the, just the question because i feel like that is kind of like the that's the Got that's it. that's the cop out, right? It's like right. yes, from you can make an economic argument that it makes sense, right? Like compare, comparative advantage and stuff like that. Like someone else should do the work because they're very equipped to do it, and I can I'm good at making money, blah blah blah. But I feel like when it comes to politics, 
um, when it comes to the societal issues. Uh, like no, nothing, the returns to the personal touch, the personal conversation are so vastly outweigh in, any sort of dollar contribution. Um, like if, if, if how many millions, hundreds of thousands or, or no millions of people are employed in the tech industry, right? If all right. those people, you know, had real earnest conversations with the five to 10 people they're close to, like what, what that would have so much more of an impact than all those people giving some amount of money. Right. I, I mean, I totally agree. Like it, it's, it's getting people motivated and it's making them believe that those conversations will have a difference because if you don't believe that, then, you know, it's just, why, why bother, you know? And I, I think part of it is talking about the problem like we are here, but, but you're right. Like, getting people engaged it's and and viewing it as more than just writing out a check it's like this is this is a say in the way this is all going to play out this is a say in in the environment in which you want to bring these innovations to life and i mean this is an amazing environment and it's only through active participation by lots of different people that it's going to stay that way right yeah no i mean it, it it's funny because like there's kind of like this 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 I have this underlying unease about this entire podcast that like <laughs> we're doing like exactly what we're saying. Like people, you know, like we're just, yeah. we're just saying you're talking well, about it. Right. Um, I mean, so, so I, 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 I know, and I, I don't want to belabor a dead horse, but I, I think part of the reason why people are reluctant to engage on this stuff is because they believe the system is rigged. They believe that when it comes to things like net neutrality, the big corporate interests are always going to win, that, that their individual voice isn't going to have an impact. And I think, I, I think if uh, I, I, this is a personal view, um, but I do think that if you're going to focus on fixing one thing right now, it's fixing the system rather than focusing on, on the particular issues. Like these particular issues, every one of these, every one of these hydra heads that for, for every sopa that you chop off, like seven more are going to grow back in its place. The way to, the way to get this so people feel like, the, like they're, they're able to engage meaningfully in in the debate and they have an impact is by is by fixing the fundamental system and that system right now feels to a lot of people like it's broken like it only works in the interest of a very select few and until you fix that underlying problem people are just going to be like you know what i can't deal with this i i can't have an impact i'm just not even going to waste my time yeah no i i mean and the thing is like we're in a in any sort, I think just to take it full circle to the Obama campaign, like in any sort of event that has, that is, yes, money matters in a presidential campaign. But at, at the end of the day, like it's always largely, both sides are going to be in the same ballpark, right? You know, mm -hmm. and, and anything that comes down to where there is public attention and it involves like impacting people on a person by person basis, uh, tech, that's where tech shines, right? Like what, like, it's we just talked about it. it's great like tech is like everyone in the valley is about like oh getting a repeatable process that you can scale mm. and reach tons of people with tiny marginal costs right like the technology tools ought to excel at 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 a political process that involves lots of people the more people the better um and and 
Yeah, and I think right. I think there's probably something to that. Like if that if the influence of money can be reduced, which is which is certainly you know a question for both for practical and kind of theoretical reasons. Um, yeah, then then the tech industry will be in that much stronger of a place relative to the political process. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I guess I mean I I, I know the question frustrated you, but. The, the answer to the question earlier of like, okay, if there's one place where I can give money to help fix some of this stuff, well, Lessig's actually, <laughs> he's working inside the system to try and reform it rather than just going at it from the outside. And he actually launched a super PAC with the, the view of ending all the super PACs. And I think he called it May 1. I remember reading about it. And the aim is basically to raise money from folks that care about this, for, that care about fixing the system the, the system of campaign finance, um, using that money to try and bring about reform. And I, I thought it was a fantastic idea. I have, as you can probably tell, have an immense amount of respect for, the, for Lessig and, and what he's doing. And I think that's a great cause. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll put the link to that pack in the notes. But I, I, I mean, just I think the big thing here is like, there really is something that, you know, to me, this issue is so big and will require like so like the, the way it will the way it will show up won't just be like you said it's a hydro right there's lots of stuff and that, I kind of feel like the thing that like anyone listening to this can do is is just to like open your eyes to politics think a little bit more I, I I know it's messy I know it's it's not efficient and those conversations can be uncomfortable but they matter they matter for society and I think and I guess my big point is they're increasingly going to really matter for tech. And, um, and so I, I think the thing that anyone can do right now is just to start paying attention and to start engaging with people. And that doesn't mean making them believe you. I like try to understand them too. You know, it's funny, like ultimately this might actually help, help your products too. Like understand where people are coming from. And, um, yeah, I really do think this is only the beginning. Yeah. I, I mean, I, Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. The the pack is the pack is one thing. The Lessig thing is one thing, but yeah, the the uh, having building better understanding of where folks are coming from and engaging around this stuff. I think if if nothing else, if we if we affect just a few people and a little bit more of that happens, then I think it will be a really good thing. Well, hopefully we will uh, not injure ourselves as we step down from our soapboxes. Um, <laughs> it's a long way down. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll have to make sure we get something super, uh, super uh, business techie uh, for yep. next week. Um, but no, it was good talking as always, and I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, Ben. Cheers.